Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. I have the privilege of coaching a number of leaders one-on-one and organizing the world's best professional development experience for school leaders, the mastermind. Working each week on the front line of school leadership has shown me a number of trends. One of them is that you feel stuck. It could be because of bureaucracy. It could be because of the red tape. It could be because of that terrible supervisor. Whatever the reason, you might be restless and ready to move on but where to move on to next. In today's show with Josh Spodek, we open with the interesting story of Raphael, who just like you was stuck in his job. He wanted out and he stayed in. Why? Because he created his dream job within his current organization. And you can too. So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. We'll jump into that conversation with Josh Spodek on creating a dream job. But first, I'd like to take some time to thank our show's sponsors. I believe that school leaders are doing the best they can. But is it possible to be just a little bit better? According to Demetrius, a school leader in California, the best part of the mastermind is the hot seat. I learned so much from the challenges that we all share during the hot seat because the feedback that our members give is so insightful and valuable. Lauren, a principal in Washington, D.C., remarked that the best part of the mastermind is access to tremendous thought partnering. If you would benefit from getting connected to other elite school leaders and would enjoy discussing education and leadership deeply each week, then we welcome your application to the mastermind. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Using artificial intelligence, the TeachFX app enables instructional leaders to coach more teachers more often and more effectively. Learn how and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Hey there, this is Kelly Crane, expert coach at Better Leaders, Better Schools, and I'm going to share a tip of the week with you. That tip is joining a mastermind. Just like networking, sometimes you need to invest financially in your own development. We do this through continued education, and now it is common to do this with masterminds. By meeting regularly with equally driven leaders, individuals can accelerate their leadership development and crush their personal and professional goals. At Better Leaders, Better Schools, we do organize educational masterminds. The seats are limited and they are open once a quarter. We encourage you to get out there, go to our website at betterleadersbetterschools.com, fill out the application and become a part of these 
exciting mastermind groups with exceptional leaders from all over the country. And as a matter of fact, I think we are now in six different countries and share your knowledge and let them help you through your biggest struggles and frustrations of each day. Again, join a mastermind and accelerate your growth as a leader as soon as you can. You will never ever regret the decision to join a mastermind at Better Leaders, Better Schools. Well, hey there, Ruckus Makers. We're joined by Josh Spodek again. He was an author of Leadership Step-by-Step, one of my favorite shows. He has his podcast about leadership and the environment. And now we're here to talk about a new book. But Josh is a TEDx speaker, wrote the number one best-selling Leadership Step-by-Step, hosts the award-winning Leadership Environment podcast, professor at NYU, and blogs daily at joshspodek.com. His book, Initiative, launched May 21st, and he holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysics, an MBA from Columbia, and where he studied under a Nobel laureate. Josh, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Great. You know, I want to I highlight something that you said, you know, owning a mistake and in, in knowing that you, you can't avoid them, but it's how you get back up. And my mistake was, I'm just going to riff on Josh. I know him. I know he's been on the show and I do that. And then I start reading the bio and I'm like, it's basically what I said. So that was my mistake. I apologize to you and the listeners, but we're going to hop right into it and start with a bang. You know, one of the things that the ruckus makers that listen to this show sometimes write in about is that they feel stuck within their role, or maybe they feel fed up by the bureaucracy or the red tape the politics of education. Your new book on initiative starts with the story of Raphael, who you help, and he creates his dream job with your coaching. Can you quickly share Raphael's frustration and how you helped him create that dream role? Yeah, I'll jump right into that, although it's hard not to comment on how our educational system for so many people creates this situation. So I'll describe the situation. So Raphael came to me and he was working at a company, he was at a media company, and it was not a particularly big company. So he worked directly with the top people, you know, the, the decision makers. And he came to me for coaching and he knew that I'd started a company. And he said, I can't stand working at this place anymore. Like they, I keep proposing ideas and they listen and they say, okay, we'll think about it. And they never do anything. And, you know, he was getting really good pay, but it wasn't worth it. He was frustrated and he just could not stand. He was like, I, I don't think I can work for anyone ever again. I have to start my own company. Now that's a pretty big jump. And if, if you only think the only alternative is to take it and just suffer in silence or jump ship, you have to wait for things to get really bad before you do anything because it's a really big deal to jump ship. And that's where he was. So we started working on exercises and the book an initiative is, is, it has these exercises for people at home to do. And it's funny, actually, we were actually working on a, developing a, a way for him to jump ship and start a new project. But he was taking the skills that we were developing and applying them to his current job. And he was taking, he switched from coming up with ideas, proposing them as a take it or leave it way of doing things. And instead, he would come up with an idea and then he would go to them and ask them for advice, his managers. They would give him advice. He'd improve the idea based on that advice. He'd go back and get more advice. And he would involve them in the process in a simple way that people don't really think to do, but it's not that hard to do. But once you practice it once or twice, it becomes obvious. 
And as it turned out, when he involved in the process, by asking advice instead of judgment, when they gave him the advice, they felt, well, this I found out later, they felt like, oh, this is partly, we're part of this project. We want it to succeed because we contributed to it. So one day we're coaching, we were meeting, we would meet once a week. And he said, Josh, I don't want to leave. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And he goes, I got a, I, one of the things I've been working on, I proposed it to them and formally, and they already knew it, what it was. So they just said, yeah, yeah, it's yours. And he, they gave him responsibility for it to succeed or fail. And they also gave him the resources to make it happen. And the net sum of it was, that, well, one thing, he didn't leave. He could have done this a long time before. Almost all of us, if we take initiative to act on things effectively, then not just to like give it to them and say, please let me do this, uh, but to involve people in the process, the people who are the decision makers, these opportunities are all over the place. And so he was really happy to work there. He continued to get the same pay, but he, because of this new project, he worked an hour or two less per day. So it was, he was very happy with not having to, you know, he didn't want to file with the state, figure out benefits packages for employees, you know, get, a, get an office to rent and things like that. That's not what he wanted. He wanted ownership in the sense of that responsibility and a job that he created, a project that he created on his own. And that was, I mean, I love that story. I started with it for a reason, partly because I wanted people to realize that taking initiative doesn't have to mean entrepreneurship. It can. And most people who take my course and who do these exercises do start projects from scratch and they look for funding or things like that. But it's by no means necessary to be, to take initiative. Some people start nonprofits, but a lot of them just get promoted or just get more responsibilities. I think there's a ripple effect there too, uh, with a seemingly small pivot in terms of uh, this approach that's take it or leave it versus seeking advice and building ownership, you know, shared ownership uh, through the project. And that small, that small pivot had a huge ripple effect where he did get the agency to lead the resources uh, to lead the project and, and <laughs> what he came to you for. I got to get out of here. Surprise, Josh, I'm staying. Yeah, the pivot is, there's nothing in the book that are skills that are difficult. You know, some people associate entrepreneurship with Silicon Valley engineers or with people who, you know, born salespeople or something like that. And that puts up this huge barrier that says, if you don't have, if you weren't born this way, you can't do it. Or if you didn't get a degree in some STEM field, you can't do it. And that's debilitating. And if you look at the very successful people in all sorts of different areas, what gets media attention tends to be the more high-tech stuff with the IPOs and the Elon Musks and so forth. I'm all for it. But most people are not from STEM, but there's a lot of companies out there. And because the media and the way that what I call the dog show, the, the, the way that people present it, what gets media attention, it makes people think, oh, I can't do it. But there's no special skills. It really takes practice with skills probably most people already have. As you put it, it's a small pivot. It's once you develop a few different perspective changes that come through practice, it becomes natural. It becomes fun. And it's, you look back and oh, I wish I'd done that earlier. I wish I'd figured out how to make other people support me for my projects rather than have them judge me for my projects. Wild thing, whether it's entrepreneurship or leadership in a school, it's, it's not this uh, superhero myth. There are these things that you can learn. There are skills that you can learn. And I think one of those other barriers, uh, you know, an interesting assertion you make is that, you know, I need an idea and I need a team to make change happen. That's what other people say. That's not what I right. say. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but what you say is that it's more important about uh, having the social emotional skills. 
So I'm curious if you can riff on that for a little bit and why, why those skills are so important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what got me going was that I got my PhD in the 90s and I wanted to, in the course of graduate school, I realized that I didn't want to continue doing that. And I felt trapped because I felt like, what can I do with my PhD in physics? I have to do something like that. I felt trapped. And later I came up with an idea, with some friends, we came up with an idea that we started in my first company and suddenly things opened up. And I realized that my educational system had given me, the more education I got, the more trapped that I felt, which was backward. And that freedom to create the outcome that I wanted, not using any magic or anything, not, not relying on luck, but through developing skills, I wanted that to be available for everyone. So I was really driven that I, I wanted to make it possible for people to create their own futures, to create their, uh, what they wanted. And, oh, I got so into that. What, can you remind me of the question that I was like? Well, you know, what a lot of people say is that you need an idea and team. That's oh, yeah, their yeah. assertion. But for you, it's the social emotional skills. So later I went to business school because I knew that having started my first company, I realized my limitations. And there were a lot of people in my, a lot of my classmates wanted to start companies, but almost none of them were starting companies. So I kept asking them, if you want to, why don't you? And the number one answer by far was, I don't have an idea. They all felt like they really need an idea. And this was before Shark Tank. So since Shark Tank came around, it's even more people feel that way. But if I talk to people who have started projects from scratch and I ask them, is what you're doing now the original idea? I don't think I've ever gotten a yes on that. It's always iterated and changed in some way. So having a perfect idea keeps some people from starting, but motivates others to go, to start. So that tells me it's not the idea, the existence of idea that's the issue. It's something inside the person. And it's the ability to share and iterate an idea that's not yet perfect, that you know is not yet perfect. The ability to get others involved, often listening to the customers, listening to people in the field and getting them involved, that's social. And to be aware of yourself, what do you want to do? Because if you want to work on something that's not aligned with your interests, it's going to feel like work no matter how great the idea is, no matter how much money you're going to make, it's going to be really hard to do. Whereas if you look inside, you know what, actually, it's not just look inside because there's this iterative process that comes out through these exercises where you figure out what you like and what you don't like. And you, you, don't, you both iterate the project and you iterate yourself or your alignment with it. That comes out of doing the exercises. When you have it aligned, and that's an emotional skill. So the social is to work with others, the emotional is to be aware of what's inside. Then you have a project that helps others and you love. And then the, the, the particulars of what the idea is at the very beginning is not that important as long as it gets you started and you know how to work with others to iterate it. Now, a lot of the resources out there, like Lean, for example, it's very popular. I think it's, if you have an idea in a team and you love them, Lean can be the, a great first place to start. And for a lot of engineers in Silicon Valley, that's, that's the natural thing to do. That's what it's designed for. For a lot of people, they don't have an idea but they know that if they had something, they would excel at it and they would love it. And so this starts you at an earlier stage than Lean does if you don't have an idea, if you don't have a team. And you know, who has ideas in teams? This is a little simplifying it, but roughly speaking, like a lot of engineers, researchers, people in STEM fields, they'll do stuff that will result in something new, cutting edge. And I looked it up and in, in the United States, it's about 6% of jobs in the US are STEM jobs. So using that as a rough proxy, something like 5 or 10% of people are going to naturally come up through their regular life to have an idea. What about the other 90 to 95%? This book is for them. 
although it turns out that I've had engineers also do this and they like it too, because it, it just because you have an idea doesn't mean you like it. It's, it's easy to get to succeed at something that you don't like when people are paying you for it. That may be enough for some people, but it doesn't necessarily create meaning, but it does when it's, when you, when you use the emotional skills that come out of doing the exercises to make sure that it's aligned with your passions. And actually it often usually unearths the passions. Someone might be listening to this thinking, well, that'd be great if I had a passion even, but I don't really know. Some people feel like they don't have any passion. Some people feel they have too many and they can't pick among them. And doing the exercises gets the passions to emerge. Almost everyone, after they do a couple projects, they look back and they're like, you know, I always knew I wanted to do that. I just thought I couldn't succeed at it. Or I thought people would laugh at me for it. And that's never happened. People have never been laughed at for the idea. In fact, most of the time, people just feel like I, I just, I should have done this earlier. So the, the entrepreneur type, the engineer, uh, we get that. I'm wondering if some of the ruckus makers listening will be like, well, Josh, you know, I'm, I'm a school leader. How does it apply to me with this concept of ideas and teams and in uh, the more important social emotional skills to, to make change happen? What might you say to them? So uh, they're, they're more apt to do the practical exercises, to dig in, to make those small pivots so that they can make bigger change happen within the context of where they lead. You know, the structure of how I teach is, in my mind, project-based learning. And I learned that from, I guess I learned it from Chris Lehman and his community at Educon at Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. Chris and I go back to the 80s. We're longtime friends. And I don't know if people know him or not, but uh, one of the things, there's two things that came out from connecting with that community. A big one was project-based learning. And I don't have to go into that because I, I presume the listeners know probably more than I do. But another big thing that got me was the struggle that people had to make things happen in their schools and in their districts because Chris happens to have started a school from the ground up that was PBI, inquiry-driven project-based learning. But every, almost everyone else there, they were pushing against resistance. And now as a university professor, I have a lot of leeway within my classroom, but I still have to go up against, like the dean, I, every semester, <laughs> or the assistant dean, we sit down and she says, where's the theory? You just have these exercises. I'm like, I know in my heart that if, if students, I will put any of my students against anyone who just learns strictly theory. And I bet mine know more theory, but they also know how to practice it. But I can't really say that to her because she doesn't get it. Okay. So I have to live this. I have to take initiative in my life to make what I do make sense. If I just say, take it or leave it, it's not going to work. I have to bring her into the process. I have, to, I have to take initiative. I live what's in this book. I do what's in this book and use the exercises in this book with her, with the other administrators in order to enable them to say, Josh, you have this project. It's your project. You can do with it as you please. If people are out there and they have the best principal ever, or they're the best administrators in the hierarchy, great. You got all the support you need. If you'd like more support, if you'd like to have a project that's your project, if you'd like to have something that you feel like, this is what I've always wanted to do. I knew I could do this, but I didn't know how to make it happen. This is how to do it. Is it the answer to every single thing? I don't know if it's the answer to everything, <laughs> but most people are working below their potential, not in terms necessarily in terms of output, but in terms of alignment with what makes them, what got them into this in the first place. And if you simply wait for the person you report to, to do it for you, to give you the leeway and the freedom to do your project, if you, I mean, sometimes people get great managers. I envy you. If you don't, 
You'd be waiting a long time. You're going to be waiting a long time because they're waiting for their manager to do with them, you know, so they can get promoted or whatever. And, but this is, this is a way that you can make things happen in a way, by the way, that they will thank you afterward, oftentimes for, because you did the hard work of making it so that they're, all they're doing is giving you advice and then approving. That's all they know about. You have to, you have to do a lot of work, but when it's aligned with what you want to do, it doesn't feel like work. My, you know, I say it's when, this, when the teacher assigns you to read a book that you always wanted to read anyway, it doesn't feel like homework. Can you stay there for a moment? Because I'm interested when you're, when you're talking uh, with that administrator, she wants more theory. You know, it's, it's the, the practical that matters that your kids will or your students will know more theory and be able to actually do the stuff too. What does that conversation sound like? Well, it's evolved. I mean, now I've gotten high enough reviews that, that the student reviews speak for themselves. So that's, mm. that's always nice. I have to ask her, what's the purpose of that? Like, why is that important? What does the theory achieve? That particular one is for graduate school and they're coming in for a professional degree. They want jobs. And so if I can get her to say, the students want jobs, then I can connect it to, this is the value that I offer. I have to find out from her, this is now going to the leadership actually, is once I'm in that conversation, I want to find out what's motivating her and I want to address what her motivations are and act on those things. And I'm usually going to use her language. Right. Yeah, I remember that. But it's, it's about empathy and, and uh, really understanding her perspective. I love that you said, you know, that's a huge one. I hope the ruckus makers caught that using their language. That's connection right there. So easy to do. Another small pivot, but speaks volumes. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something there. That's, it took me a long time to realize this because I thought it sounded like trickery. But what I found out is that, and, and you can do this, have someone practice this with you. Like say something and have them, I used to think, I should take what they say and put it into my words so that they can tell that I've, that I've uh, digested it. The thing is that, here's the way I see it, is that my mind or anyone's mind, anyone's heart contains more than you can put into words. And so when you put something into words, when you stress a certain word or you pick a certain word choice, you put a pause in there, or you gesticulate when you use a certain word, those, that's where the nonverbal communication comes in. And when I say something using a particular word, I put meaning into that word through the nonverbal part, through the, tona- into the tonality and so forth. Now, when you use that word back to me, I feel like all that meaning that I put into that word, I hear it even though you just said the word, but I still heard all that meaning. And th- as you keep talking to them, that meaning will emerge. But right off the bat, when you use their words, they will get the meaning from you that they put into it. And so you'll communicate more than you thought you did. They'll feel listened to. Yeah. I think what you're saying too is I see you, right? By using their words in the way that they express it, I see who you are and you matter to me. And that's just going to drive the connection as well. Josh, I'm really enjoying this uh, conversation. We're going to pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker. Imagine if every teacher in your school had a personal instructional coach. Well, today's show is sponsored by TeachFX, and that's exactly what they do. But don't take it from me. Listen to what some of the teachers who use TeachFX say. 
I would encourage everybody to to give it a shot just because, because again, it gives you that objective feedback that you may not have been aware of when you're sitting there in class. It's a great diagnostic tool just to kind of check in and go, okay, here's the reality of how much I'm speaking or if I'm speaking in chunks or having conversations. Yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm more mindful of letting them, like not being so teacher directed, which is kind of, that was my goal. You know, like teachers have professional goals. And so that was one of my professional goals for being observed this year is less teacher direction, a lot more responsibility on the kids doing the work and the discussion and the figuring out. Learn all about TeachFX and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. And we're back with Josh Spodek. Uh, He's been here before, Leadership Step by Step, but he's talking about his new book, Initiative. And I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Highlighting leadership step by step, you know, something I loved about it was that it was very, very practical. And initiative is is similar. I've enjoyed my first read through it, and uh, I can't wait to uh, use that with the mastermind again. And, and do you mind sharing an exercise maybe for the ruckus makers that are listening so they can take action on something today? I'd, I'd love for them to, right after this episode, put something into practice. And, and they've already gotten stuff, right? Using um, those words that we uh, use in a conversation, maybe it's the pivot instead of uh, take it or leave it. It's it's uh, involving people in the process. But can we offer just a little bit more value? Uh, one practical exercise, one step that they can take to make change happen in their buildings. Yeah, if if it's okay, I'll give a little context because the leadership step by step. There are many exercises in there that they're standalone exercises. I mean, they fit in a context and. This one is more a, a sequence and a progression that one follows from the next, not so much standalone. And so I have to start with at the beginning, even then I'll give a little more context. That the, the end result of doing the exercises in initiative is that you will ultimately have conversations with high level, valuable people in your field. Where valuable can mean different things for different people. It could be fun, funding sources. It could be people who are very well connected. It could be people who might invest, lots of different things. But if I started that, if I said to someone right off the bat, go talk to valuable people in the field, most people would be blown out of the water. They wouldn't know how to start. They'd be too nervous. So of the exercises that lead up to it, there's a lot of things about talking to other people about your project. And it begins... So before talking to valuable people in the field, it's talking to people in the field that you have access to. Before talking to people that you have access to, it's talking to friends and family. Before talking to friends and family, it's talking to people who are close to you. So... I want people to talk to people who are, I want the, the participants to start practicing getting advice from others. And so one of the early, the first exercise that's more um, specific to this is to write down five ideas, five problems in a field, and to go to people near you, people who are supportive and non-judgmental. Hopefully everyone has at least a couple of those. And to share the problems that they found and a rudimentary solution for each, and to ask them for advice on each of them. Now, anyone can do this at any time. I'm, I'm sure lots of people have ideas for things that they could do, whether they're trying to start a project or not. I'm sure you have things like, you know, you'd like, I, I can't guess at what everyone in the audience is, what they, what they want to do differently. But if you have an idea, the next time a lot of people think I should just develop it and make it perfect on my own before I share it to anyone, I recommend instead. The earlier, the better. Share an idea with people and 
specifically, and don't ask, what do you think of this idea? Where you might ask, what do you think of this idea? Or is this idea a good idea or bad idea? Should I act on this idea? Ask, how could I improve this idea? Do you see any ways that I could make this idea work better? What could you, how, you know, how could I do it differently? Now, almost everyone will get the experience that someone will say, oh, I think it's great. That's judgment. You didn't ask for it, but people are so used to it that they do it anyway. Oh, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a bad idea. Go for it. That's not giving advice. Well, go for it. You could say as advice, but uh, how do I improve the idea? And so a few skills happen here. One is that people often give advice, uh, give judgment. And so there's a skill to identify the judgment, recognize that it's not helping you improve it, and then to deflect it. So I often, I say this all the time. I appreciate that you think it's good, or I appreciate that you think it's bad. What I'm really looking for though is advice. So that identifying judgment, not reacting to it, except to deflect it and redirect back. After you've done this a few times, also you notice that you'll start leading interactions in a different way. And people like, it might feel like you're correcting them, but they actually, in my experience, people really like it because giving advice is more comfortable than giving judgment for most people because they feel like, oh, good thing you asked me because I happen, to, I happen to be an expert in that area. People like feeling that way. So there's a lot of things that happen. And if you do that with the early people, then it becomes second nature when you do it. With, not when I say early people, I mean the friends and family, people are supportive anyway. Then later, you know, it's like wax on, wax off. If pe- for people who saw the karate kid, if you practice something enough, you do it automatically. Can I tell the story of Joanne? Yeah. So one of my students in a much later stage, I think it was the stage where she was um, talking to the valuable people in the field. She, to reach this point, she had asked for advice from close friends, friends and family, people close to her in the field, people higher level in the field, people valuable in the field. And there's also another place where you're talking to people who are the people who feel the problem. So she's talked to a lot of people. And at this stage, her project is that she wants to do something involving Broadway shows. I should also mention that she's from Hong Kong. English is not her first language. So she's got this double whammy of working, you know, contacting someone she hasn't met and in a language that's not her native tongue. So she wants to talk to this producer at a Broadway theater. All she knows is what theater he's at. She doesn't know how to reach the guy. So she figures, well, I'll call up the ticket box and ask the person who gets the tickets, how can I reach this guy? So she calls up. That person picks up, you know, hello, how many tickets would you like? She goes, well, I'm actually looking for this guy and I wonder if I can reach him. And the guy who is like, he wants to sell tickets. He's like, oh, hold on. And he puts her on hold. And by the way, she's telling me this in class. So picture uh, a student, I'm in the front and there's uh, like (laughs) a a bunch of other students listening to this. And the students are kind of partly paying attention. And then she says, then the phone picks up and she goes, yes, I'm, I'm uh, waiting for the, the name of the producer. Yeah. And the person goes, yes, what? And the whole room like, jumps up. It's like, because it's him, right? The guy, the tickets, ticket box, box got the guy. So she's like, oh my God, what do I say? What do I do? What do I say? What do I do? Because she's like all flustered. But she's done it so many times that she just says the script that's in the book, by the way, that you can cater and customize for yourself. But it basically says, I'm a student. I'm working on this entrepreneurial project. I have this thing. I wonder if I could get some advice from you. And the guy's like, oh, what? And she goes, well, here's the thing. And he goes, blah, blah, blah. And he gives her some advice. And then he's like, hangs up. He's like, bye. And she's flustered in class. Mm. And I walk her through this state. I, I had to recognize that she's flustered. But I also recognize that from an entrepreneurial standpoint, or an, an initiative standpoint, she's actually gotten what she wanted from the guy. Like, she got advice. And so I walk her through, you know, she wasn't injured. She didn't lose any money. She wasn't embarrassed. And then I finally get to the point where I say, if you could do it again, would you? And she's like, yeah, I would. 
And the whole class was like, I want to do that now. I want to get to, I want to get surprised with something. And so what happened here was that when you've done it enough times and you can do it on autopilot, then even when you get flustered, you get what you want. And I pointed out to her from now on for the rest of all the time you're working on this project, you can always tell, tell people this is improved in part from so-and-so because it legitimately, it was. And she got advice from one of the top people in the field. And even if he never takes her call again, that's true for the rest of, you know, and it was really funny because as a teacher, you love when something like that happens because the rest of the class wanted to have that happen to them. And it was a race to the top. And I've since incorporated that into how I teach as I try to get stories like that. I, I specific, this is not in the book, but in, when I teach and people can use this book for teaching and it's designed uh, leadership step-by-step is, be, is being used by universities across the country, maybe schools, uh, K to 12 schools, I'm not sure. But I see the discussion with a question, like, did anyone have any difficult challenges? Did anyone have things that, that they didn't, things that they didn't expect happen? And then I usually can help them see it as a productive way that everyone else is like, oh, I want to do that too. Mm. Powerful. Uh, well, drawing out the gold, the powerful reframe, uh, seeing the opportunities within the challenges that were there. And, and that's something I think the ruckus maker that's listening can do with, with her staff uh, when they're maybe introducing project-based learning or something like that, a new initiative uh, to the school. Well, Yeah. The, a big thing is that the time to do it first is not in the big show. Mm. What made that work was that she'd done it so many times before. And you starting with family. Put in the reps. Yeah. With the simple reps. Yeah. Structure, uh, what do you call it? Scaffolding, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, two quick uh, questions to to close out. You know, you're a fascinating guy to me, and and I'd love to hear how you answered this. Tony Robbins is famous for saying that quality questions create a quality life. Successful people ask better questions. As a result, they get better answers. So, for the ruckus makers, the school leaders listening to our show, what do you think is one question, Josh? You should have asked more as a novice leader, or a question you'd have them ask themselves. I believe that when someone does something that I wish I could do and I could, and I don't know how I used to think they were born that way. And now I think they had some experience to get there to, to develop those skills. So the question is what experience led you to develop those skills? And can I, how can I get that experience so I can get the skills that you have that I wish I had? I love it. Cause back to the advice thing. Asking that question is what is what came. That's the answer to those questions is the book yeah. for the area of taking initiative. Yeah. And back to the advice thing we talked about that people want to talk about that. You know, that, that question draws you in. That's brilliant. All right. Well, uh, Josh, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of, of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Practice, practice, practice. I mean, find the basics, find the exercises that will give you the skills that you want and practice them. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. 
Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.